This is Jim McCutcheon, and you're listening to GMI. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jed Brocky from GMI, that's the Guitar and Music Institute. This is podcast number 47, and it's hard to believe that it's 47 episodes already, but there you go. Today I've got another great guest, a very inspirational character called Jim McCutcheon. He's from America, and it's hard really to quantify how much Jim has done for the guitar, not just in his own state and in his country, but for guitarists around the world. If I've got you interested and intrigued, then I'm not saying anymore this time. You can actually listen on and find out. So that's coming up just after this intro. We use at GMI Shopify to create all our goods and services, or at least to get those goods and services over to the public. No complaints, it really works. It's a fantastic system. You can help support GMI and this podcast if you go to the guitaramusicinstitute.com website, if you're viewing this podcast there, and you can see there's a link, and we'll get a small referral fee, which helps to keep this podcast afloat. On that page, for the specific podcast, you will see a lot of pictures and videos and various things to do with the actual subject matter, which is Jim, all about him and his life. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. I'll speak to you again once it's done. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with GMI. Having looked at a little about you and and the work that you've done, I feel like I'm talking to a kindred spirit, and I'm sure that there's going to be thousands of people around the world who are going to be interested in your life's work, which is about the guitar. Can you maybe start wherever you feel is appropriate and tell us a little about yourself and your life and just exactly what you do? Thanks, Jed. You know, it's, it's really a pleasure and an honor to talk with you. I definitely feel like we're kindred, kindred spirits. Uh, you're such a versatile guitarist and uh, and I really enjoy your recordings. Uh, it. I, I, I like a variety of music. I always have. I started playing when I was 11, and that was 57 years ago. Uh, it's hard to believe, but I liked the Kingston Trio and the Brothers Four and some uh, sort of post-college baritone men's groups that played guitar and banjo. And, and I, I just, uh, when I was eight years old, I just wanted to be them. And so I uh, found a ukulele in a closet. It was my older sister's. She showed me how to play some chords and sing. So I would sit on the floor cross-legged and play the ukulele and sing these songs out of this folk music book. And uh, no real lessons or anything, but I kept asking my parents if they would get me a real guitar so I could be like the Kingston Trio. And... um, and they actually made me wait for three years before they got me a guitar. So I was 11 and I was starved. Quite wise in a way, isn't it? Because kids, they come and go for what they fancy in that, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think one of the best things you can give your child is deprivation. <laughs> I've never thought about that. My sons will uh, relate to that. <laughs> I, have two, I have two boys grown now and, and the things that I made them wait for are the things that they stayed with. I started playing folk music and it was in the 60s and the Beatles were big. So I, of course, learned all the Beatles songs and played and sang, although I didn't, I, I, I knew I couldn't sing very well because I had a bad audition for seventh grade choir when I was 13. And everyone in the room laughed 
when I sang. I mean, even the teacher laughed. It was it was pretty uh, pathetic. I thought I sounded good, but you know, maybe I didn't. I don't know. But it, anyhow, I, I stayed away from school music. Jim, do do you come from a, a musical background? Were your mom and dad musical? Uh, I think my my dad liked music and had a had a big voice and sang in church, but never really did anything like that. My mom was a pretty good amateur pianist. Do you think, because we're similar ages, do, do you think we're part of uh, a sort of seam uh, of people who in past centuries wouldn't have got near it, you know, being just spending your whole life playing and music? We would have been down pits and things. Do you think life has changed so people like us can play music. Well, to tell you the truth, I'm I'm kind of amazed every day that I've spent my whole life playing music and very grateful. Um, I never thought I had what it would take to be a professional musician. And uh, in fact, I took lessons at the local music store uh, from ages 11 to 17 and and I got better for three years and then got on a four-year plateau through high school. I practiced and practiced, could not get any better. And so I went to college as a physics major and studied science because I just didn't think I'd be a very good musician. It turns out I studied with a – I got to go to a master class my, my freshman year in physics. I got to go to a master class with, with a touring guitarist. His name was Bunyan Webb. And – he had studied with Presti and Lagoya and Segovia a little bit, um, and and he, he heard me play, and he said, well, Jim, you've only got two problems. I was expecting many more problems because I was on the end of a four-year plateau. It was awful and frustrating. He said, you've only got two problems, Jim, your left hand and your right hand. That's nice. <laughs> And so he, he got me uh, into holding the guitar in the classical position and the thumb instead of coat hangered on the top, round back in the classical position, got my pinky up off the wood and got fingers better access to the strings. And he said, now play me something. And I couldn't play a note. It took me two years to really unlearn seven years of bad technique and really get get moving on classical guitar technique. So... I, I finished my physics degree, got um, accepted to medical school, and also I was in a band playing the flute, and we had a chance to sign with an agent and go on the road. Small-time stuff, but still full-time music. And that was my um, test, my self-test, to see if I could do music full-time and still love it. Because I didn't want to get into it and then be stuck having to make a living at it. And so this was a great opportunity to, to take a test on myself like this. And the medical school gave me a two-year window to come to their school to make up my mind. That was great. And um, I so I went on the road for 18 months, did music 65 hours a week, and I loved it. And And that's when I knew I should maybe pursue it because I figured I could make minimum wage at 65 hours a week, and I could survive and still love music, which I did. That was like, I was not going to stop loving music. It's quite interesting that you were doing physics, because there's such a big connection between physics and music, isn't there? Well, you know, a lot of people say, a lot of people uh, say that, and it's real interesting. I've thought a lot about it, but 
I, I think one of the one of the big connections is that you have to do either of them at least uh, 16 years before you're any good at them. <laughs> <laughs> so it takes a lot of stick to itiveness. The interesting thing about you and me actually is that nobody, I've never said this on my podcasts, I don't think many people know this about me, is that actually uh, I only ever wanted to be a professional musician, still do, but um, the, the <laughs> fact is what a lot of people don't know is that I actually did a, an engineering degree, well three months of it, because my family didn't think you could make a good living being a musician and funnily enough looking back they were right, but but the, the, <laughs> that doesn't really matter. But, um, you know, I actually went for three months to do an engineering degree. Um, and the only thing I can remember of it is a man who had this object, this long object, which he used to, had the three states of water in it. And he would move it and it would make a cracking noise. That's all I've been left with. But you got your degree in physics, right? Yeah, I, I, I stuck it out and... Um... And I, I actually enjoyed uh, learning it, and I'm actually still in touch with my old physics profs. And one of the things I like to do is go to schools, kindergarten through high school, and do science of music demos. And that's that's been really fun. Yeah, what does that include? That sounds interesting. What's well, that all about? A, a lot of things. Like for, um, for kindergartners, it would be just uh, things about sound, like, uh, high and low, big and little, uh, different ways to make sound. And I take in uh, three flutes. I take a piccolo, a C flute, and an alto flute. I take a violin and a cello. I own a music store. That's where I am right now in my office. Wow. And so I, I have access to lots of instruments. So I take a violin and a cello. I take a mandolin, uh, a regular classical guitar, and a uh, acoustic bass guitar and so i take i just do and i have some percussion instruments that are all different sizes and so we just experience that for kindergartners and then as you go up through the grades we get more into technical things like so by the time i'm in junior high and high school i have an oscilloscope signal generators we talk about a harmonic series and 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 tone its relation to tone color and that kind of thing to really try to my, and also I have a bright red sparkly electric guitar that, that I, I, I pull it out and I say there's a lot of science in this and and all the kids are mine <laughs> brilliant Jim could you tell uh, the listeners some of them maybe many of them I don't know may not know what the harmonic series is could you just uh, in simple oh, yeah. terms it's 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 uh, it's, it's actually uh, a demonstration of uh, in physics on a very deep level. Actually, you can play a the open sixth string, and then if you if you touch it at the exact mid midpoint, you can make that harmonic and an octave, and then you can touch it a third, and, and the string is actually vibrating in a funny way, back and forth like this. Touch it at the at the seventh fret, make that. So now we have. The fifth fret, fourth, front of the third, back of the third, and then on up. And and that's the harmonic series. They've known about this ever since ancient Greece. But and, and actually if you think about it, uh, there was a Richard Strauss piece you might recognize. Baba 
<laughs> so the I, movie 2001 for those of us who are old enough to remember that <laughs> yeah yes i am <laughs> sadly um so is that the sort of thing that you would take into schools and high schools and things like that you bet you bet it it, it you can you can do like like a thousand years of of music history just with what i did <laughs> because of the intervals and and then um and then you can talk about like the frequency relationships like that's uh about 80 84 and a half or 82 and a half cycles per second that's double that that's triple that that's quadruple that so a lot of times i go in and talk to physics classes too the universe resonates at a specific frequency doesn't it you know that that's a little outside of my purview <laughs> I, <laughs> I that get, that starts to get uh, metaphysical, and I'm kind of stuck here in the physical. <laughs> oh, quite right, quite right. But actually, just looking over your profile and hearing you talking with such passion, I knew this was going to be a fantastic chat. I wanted to just tease a few things out of some of the things that I've managed to find out about you. Can you tell us about when you received the Ohio Governor's Award for Art and Education? in 2017 can you tell us about the award first of all and what led up to you being considered and then ultimately being given that award thank you for asking the, the ohio governor's award is a statewide award and there ohio has a pretty vibrant arts community we have a a, a really nice arts council we have a lot a state a statewide arts council we have a lot of local arts councils the one here in dayton is um is very, very supportive of artists. Um, this, this award came from getting, getting nominating letters from people in different areas that I work in. Um, I, I host a radio program every week, and I consider that educational. And so we, we presented it as that. It's called The Intimate Guitar. I featured your music on there a number of times, and really, always enjoy that. And I think I've done that show now since 1986. So we're about 34 years into it. Every week I produce a, a one-hour show. That's incredible, Jim. That really, really is. You can hear that at uh, discoverclassical.org. So if you go there, you can, you can learn about it. It's called The Intimate Guitar, and it's been a great – I've loved doing that. Uh, it's, it's been a great way to affirm artists around the world. Uh, I'm, I know when I produce CDs and somebody said, oh, I'm going to put that on my radio show. It's like just a great feeling. It's a great feeling to, to be uh, affirmed like that. So I've, I've done that. But, but for my uh, local community and for the wider uh, web community, you know, I think it's an educational program because I, I play a variety of music, mostly classical guitar with some dessert at the end. You're the dessert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank and, you. <laughs> I try to say something intelligent about them and, and you know, be a somewhat educational. Can you tell me what you're an advisor, a guitar advisor to the National Federation of Music Clubs? So is, right. that, is that a pan-American organization? Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, here, it's here in the United States. I'm not sure if, if, if there are similar organizations outside of it, but that was another thing that um, I've done for, for arts education. Um, we have a book. Uh, it comes out every four or five years, which is called the Festival's Bulletin. Once a year, students get to play for uh, judges, and the judges are professional musicians from your area who are usually also teachers, 
and they you know they they rate kids performance and we've done that every year i've i've been the guitar advisor to this organization for uh, a long time i can't remember when i first started but it was probably uh, 30 years ago and i set the repertoire in inside this festival's bulletin are and this is pretty thick book repertoire for just about every instrument and combination of instruments I'm in charge of the classical guitar and the pick style guitar uh, events. And you take kids from, and I've got lists of things, everything from Twinkle Twinkle Little Star to, you know, Asturias or whatever. And ki what kids do is they earn points and the points every year go towards getting a gold cup. Uh, if I look over here, up on the wall there, we have, uh, we have, uh, three sizes of gold cups and the smallest cup it takes three years of top marks <laughs> to get the smallest cup and when i first learned about this they'd asked me to be a judge that's how i learned about it i, I said what are these kids gonna do i mean they can play soccer for like uh six weeks get on the last place team and still get a cup that's taller than this one <laughs> and i thought they're never gonna stick with it but they do and when they get these cups with their nameplate on them, they're like, this is important. I want to get the next cup. And so what, what the Federation festivals do is they give these kids incentive to stick with it and really work their way up through different levels of difficulty. And, uh, you know, I can't say enough about it. I have a, I have a, a video of this on, on my uh, website. Well, I'll definitely be getting hopefully some pictures of you of the book uh, or I'll look it up and I'll put that on the, the web page that will go along with this podcast. Uh, yeah. Sadly, it's an audio-only only podcast, but I'll make sure if, we, if I can get some pictures of those cups, it will definitely go up there. Sure. And I'm still, I'm still on your first question. Yes, carry on then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for education, um, I've taught at uh, the University of Dayton and Wright State University and uh, for 40 years. And that was part of it. And then I have a, a teaching studio here at my music store, which has about 50 teachers and about 500 students a week. And, 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 and we, we produce recitals a couple times a year when it's uh, possible to do that. And, you know, and we get, we get kids invo in, involved in festival and just kind of performance opportunities. So, you know, I think they, I think the governor, the governor's people in the arts put it together, put all those things together, and we got the award uh, a couple years ago. Well, certainly well, well deserved. Thank you. You see, with all the the people that are performing, all the kids and everything, do you have your own YouTube channel yet? Oh, for those kids? Yes. No, I haven't thought of that. That's a great idea. Thank you. Yeah, I think that would be really handy. Okay, I'm interested in this whole store thing, Jim. What sort of stuff do you sell at this store? It's quite amazing. Well, you know, it really is. Um, we we started with just guitars and and guitar music and the kinds because I couldn't get the local stores to carry the stuff that we needed for our teaching. We started as a teaching studio, and so we took the step and started carrying music, and then. Uh, a few years into that, we had a number of teachers of different instruments that kind of signed on with us. We had a, uh, a little building up in the middle of a suburb of Dayton, 
we had a number of people who, who like part-time university people who needed a little bit of extra teaching income. So they signed on with us and I was teaching part-time then at four schools, four colleges. So I, I knew a lot of people. And so we just got them together. And, and then my wife said, you know, I would really kind of like to get involved. And, and uh, because to that point, it was pretty much me. And I, it was very informal. I would give teachers a key have a key, tell me when you're going to be here. And, and, and it was pretty informal. And my wife said, you know, I'd like to build up the business. So we, we started doing uh, band instruments and orchestra instruments and took the step and, and, um, and built it up to uh, what we have now. I, I would, uh, I would take, I would pick up my laptop and run out to show you around the store if, you, if you'd like, but we have, we have a guitar room and then we have a room for violins and, and band instruments. Is your wife, Debbie, is she a musician as well? Um, she appreciates music and values it right. greatly. But she'll tell you that she's played, she's, she plays many instruments badly. <laughs> no, no. Um... But, but she, she loves it. And she's, she's really uh, the organiz organization. Well, you, you definitely need that. You, she's the power behind the throne. So, um, <laughs> and maybe in front of the throne. Um, now, you're not just someone who organizes and sells things. You're a, a player as well. And you've produced five solo recordings and you toured Russia with an oboist. Could you tell me yes. about that? And uh, I don't know what the ordinary person in America feels, but every time I open a webpage these days, it's all, it all seems to be hysterics about Russia in America. I'm assuming that's just a populist trope, really. I, I think. I, you know, I, I have... I, have, I mean, there's all, always going to be politics and power plays, but um, I always think that music transcends all that, and that's, that's the power of it. And we were very... I was working with an oboist that I had gone to undergrad... Um, college music with, and uh, we uh, we actually ended up teaching at the University of Dayton together. And the international studies department there asked us to put on concerts once every year from a different part of the world. One of our concerts was Russia and Eastern Europe, uh, and just for fun, I sent I sent a, a tape of it to a friend of mine who he's an American uh, and his wife is Russian, and. They have an organization called Cross Currents International Institute, and they sponsor non-governmental exchanges between the USA and the former USSR. And so he said, well, how would you like it if, if I arranged a tour for you over in Russia? And I said, that'd be great. And, uh, and my, my oboist friend, Mark Twihus, agreed. And we, we had a 14-day tour in uh, we had a week in Moscow and a week in St. Petersburg, and it was marvelous. We played everything from uh, library concerts to um, we played on an army base. <laughs> it was very interesting. It was a wonderful concert. Got stories about that. T tell us, tell us a story from the army base. Come on. Okay, okay. Uh, we uh, we get there and we're setting up. And we, we're supposed to have the hall all to ourselves. It's a hall that seats 500 or at least. And we we're supposed to have the hall all to ourselves. And and we're setting up and a lot of the men are coming in. And these are red, they're red berets, kind of like the U.S.'s green berets. You know, these are elite 
elite forces. You know how it is, at least in America, you know, people are coming into concerts and they're like, they have looks of expectation on their face and they're, they, they're, they're excited about what they're going to hear. And these men came in and they were like statues. And we're, and we're, we're up there. It's like, they're just like looking at us and they are not smiling. <laughs> and, and it's like, we weren't, we weren't worried about our safety or anything, but it was just weird. And so we finished setting up and, and it came time for the concert and the hall was, the hall was full. We were actually part of the army's art series Ooh. for the men, which I thought was unique. Amazing. And, it, and so anyhow, uh, it helped that we had a translator who was, she was uh, about 21 and she was really cute <laughs> and very personable. So she went up and talked to the man and introduced us. And uh, we, we went up and we started playing um, Karabeniki, the peddlers. And it's a, it's a song that whether you're from the city or the country, you know this song in Russia. And we started playing our version of that. And we got these men just clapping with us, you know, this kind of unison on the beat clapping. And, and we just, you know, in three minutes of that song, we made like 400 friends. And I, and I think that was really significant because for most of these men, uh, this was a unit that if you grew up in the city, you were too soft to be in this unit. And so all these men were from the country and most of them had never seen an American face to face. And so, um, after the concert, we uh, we got to talk to the men. They came up and they they, they through the translator we, we were able to talk to them and uh, and we we had lunch with the with the uh, officers and uh, and it was just really nice. They poured us a glass of vodka at the a little thing of vodka, a shot of vodka at the beginning of lunch, and so we toasted. And then he pours another one. The commander pours another one. And we're going, what? He goes, yes. In Russian army, we say between the first and second, a bullet may not pass. <laughs> so that we all got pretty lit. <laughs> uh, that's one thing that I love about touring is that it doesn't matter where you go. Generally speaking, when you're playing music, all the barriers melt away. Yes. We, we just, we... I think it transcends it transcends pretty much everything that that people find to divide us. And that's that that the, my experience with all the Russian people in in every every venue that we played was just marvelous. Now, can you go on to tell me a little about have you worked around television as well? Well, you know, uh, just the occasional appearance on on uh, uh, local shows. But uh, I'm looking at your professional activities, and it's pretty long. <laughs> what is cross currents? Cross currents. That's the is thing the... you just told me about, isn't it? Right, right. That is and, that and still going? I, is it still going? Um, I'm not sure, but likely it is because th this is how this is what this couple has devoted their life to. Amazing. And the other thing that I really would like you to tell us about, because to my shame, I didn't know about this, is Soundboard Magazine. Right. Soundboard Magazine is, is the uh, quarterly publication of the Guitar Foundation of America, which is uh, the United States 
uh, principal classical guitar organization. And Soundboard is um, it's a really nice magazine. They have um, a lot of it's not strictly academic. There's a lot of there are a lot of papers and things that get published in it. But it also has a lot of uh, just interesting information about about classical guitar. Soundboard also has a scholar a scholar edition, which is which is a juried uh, what do you want to say academic academically uh, grounded publication. I have written articles for Soundboard and and I'm currently reviewing uh, CDs. Uh, I'm not the I'm not the editor of that column, but I contribute reviews to that. A CD, Jim. What is a CD? <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, you know, people still make them, um, and I appreciate that because um, that's how I produce my radio show. I haven't quite gone digital yet, but all these CDs are ones that I I reviewed for the American Record Guide, which is another another publication that I have started reviewing for. So I review a number of things, and I'm sort of the classical guitar. Um, editor for that so that i just i just sent in 11 reviews don't you think it's a shame in a sense in so many ways social media and the advent of the the internet and the digital revolution as they call it that's changed everybody's lives whether they know it or not but part of the thing that surprises me about my response to it is that there's more and more white noise Everyone has an opinion and a person who may have a lot of experience, knowledge and information at their fingertips isn't heard so clearly and as easily now. Oh, I know what you mean. I think we're living in, a, in an age of information overload. It's never been easier to get information out, out into the, into the uh, world. And so there's just so much of it out there and... It, the, the big challenge is being able to um, filter and, and, and think while you're getting bombarded. And that, that's, that's one of the challenges in our country, especially right now. The last podcast I did was about a teaching, a new teaching app, which actually goes into a, a phone, a, a, a Google phone. How do you feel about that? Well, I, I don't know. There's, there's so much teaching happening online and there's so many, I mean, you can, that's just another source of information. It's, it, you know, I think nothing completely replaces the one-on-one face-to-face, whether it's on, on a screen or face-to-face here in my office, nothing quite replaces that, but there are just lots of sources for information now. I guess what I'm really driving at, Jim, is you obviously have a huge amount of experience in teaching people to play the instrument. Do you see any change in the way in young people's response to the guitar? I, I, I don't know that that's been changed much. I, I think there's always students who are just really, really turned on to learn about it. And that, of course, as teachers, that's what we try to foster. Um, and there's there's there are other students who have who just kind of, you know, are learning about it, but they're not that passionate about it. And I don't I don't know that that's much different from when when we were kids. That sounds quite optimistic, actually. Oh yes, I I don't think it's gotten worse. <laughs> Although there are certainly a lot more things vying for kids' time these days. And when I was growing up, the deal I had with my parents was uh, I would practice an hour every day every day and they would pay for lessons and take me there and get me a guitar 
And um, if I ever, they, they were really smart. They, they said, if you ever want to quit, we will not be mad at you. And then if you want to start up again and pay your hour a day, that'll be fine anytime. And that let me that let me have some control. And I quit a lot, actually. <laughs> I quit for a, a number of different reasons. But um, I always got bored with what I knew. And so I always went back to, to more lessons. Whether they did me any good or not, I'm not sure. But um, <laughs> at that point, but but that was a really that was a really good thing. So these days, you can't get an hour out of a kid because <laughs> they have they have sports, they have this, they have the, all these commitments to school, and and so with COVID, it's been a little easier actually because the kids are not doing as many external activities. You know, if you can get a half hour a day, you're doing good. And some of the ones who are really interested are doing an hour. So that's a little different from when we were younger. Well, that's good to hear. It must be 15 years ago because time flies by so quickly. But Pat Metheny is, was supposed to have said, I don't know if this is an urban legend, that he was worried that within America, the art of the, imp of the improvising musician could be dead within 35 years time. 30 years oh, time. I don't see that at all. I don't see that at all, um, especially because in in our school music, our public school music programs and private school ones, too, uh, improvisation has over the last 20 years just become more. And even our college programs, improvisation has become more and more important. And um, at the, the suburb I live in, which is Centerville, we have a great uh, music program in the public schools and a big part of that is jazz ensembles they have jazz uh they have i don't know at the high school just in the grades 9 through 12 that'd be 14 through 18 year olds they have at, at our high school i think they have four different complete jazz bands and i i i think that's amazing and the, and then i go to their concerts and we support them with our store and stuff and uh when i go to hear them everybody takes a solo so everybody's working on that. And um, some of our teachers here uh, do a lot of improvising and they, and they teach that to their students. So I don't I don't I see jazz as, as hanging on pretty strong. You see that quote. Are you aware of that quote, Jim? I am not. Right. Well, maybe it's something that I've got to look back at and see if it is just something that's an urban myth in a sense because it, it, yeah it, well you know for so long the, the classical music paradigm of teaching is play this note at this time with this tone and this volume and which is antithetical to improvisation right but i think what what i'm seeing and, and oh when i i used to joke at, at the at the university of dayton where i'm artist in residence um i used to joke that you know, the students would come in for their lesson and I had no music. And I'd say, just listen and do this and do this by ear. And they go, huh? Huh? And I go, yeah, that's why I'm on the faculty <laughs> to, to make you listen and make you play by ear. And and I've been there 40 years. And over that time, the, the, the sense of playing by ear and improvisation has really become much more important. And I, I, I mean, it, it should because half the half the world's musicians if you say did you bring your music half of them will go yeah <laughs> holding up the instrument there folks exactly exactly so 
and 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 I'm sure you know this. To be a complete musician, you got to you got to be able to read, and then you got to be able to pl just play by ear, and and you put those together, and you can handle anything that comes at you. What I like about, or what I like about the way you look at things is, and it's something that they say over in Glasgow in the conservatoire. Now they're pushing this idea that musicians need a portfolio of skills. Oh boy! And uh, I think that comes through loud and clear in your career and the way you go about your life. Sure, and I think for every every musician, I mean, if 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 I tried to make my my living just with classical guitar and only accepted classical guitar students, I would probably starve. And so, you know, and, and like at the University of Dayton, they have a music therapy program. Um, and these kids need to be functional in guitar and be able to sing with it and, and uh, do songs for everybody from little kids to senior citizens. And so a lot of my time at the university is spent with music therapy majors who have other major instruments like voice or trumpet or whatever. And, but they have to have these skills for guitar, for music therapy. I'm really thankful that I came to the guitar through folk music. And, uh, and that's actually helped me a lot with my uh, working with children because I get children singing. And I was um, at a Montessori school um, one day a week for 24 years. And so I worked a lot with three, three to nine-year-olds, heavily towards the younger end. And I just loved getting them to sing and, and doing a lot of the Kodai type of approach and the ORF approach to, to music and getting, getting kids to do that. And I, I just really love that period. I've got two main areas that I'd like to discuss with you finally, Jim. One is a little down, and then we'll maybe, hopefully, end on a bit of an up. So the, the down question is, where do you think the arts, and music in particular, is going because of this COVID pandemic? Where do you think things are heading right now? Because there's a lot of musicians out there really struggling. You probably don't know this, but the UK government is so crass as to put out an advert on the web with a, a girl who was actually an American girl. She was tying up her ballet shoes and they said, I can't remember what her name is, but she's retraining, retraining to be X. She just doesn't know it yet. In other words, get another job. There's no future in the arts. What do you think of that? And what are your thoughts around this subject? Well, um, I, I would, I, I've never um, regretted having a physics degree because I know, I knew if, if anything happened, say I hurt my hands or I just, I don't know what, what else would happen. But if something like that happened where I couldn't play and couldn't be a functioning musician, I would always have that to fall back on. And so uh, I've never regretted having that physics degree. I think it's kind of like we were talking before. You have to have a portfolio of skills <laughs> to survive. And we've been really lucky. And, and I think we just never know, knew it, how lucky we have been for the last... Oh, what? Since World War II, we've been so lucky in, in our countries to be able to cultivate careers that were artistic. That clumsy question I gave you at the beginning, that's exactly what I was driving at. Yeah, well, but if you look into history, it's not always been that way. I mean, Antoine de Loyer, uh, his main job was in the army. But he wrote this great, this great music. Um, and 
uh, and Soar, Fernando Soar, was in the Army. And I don't think it's been till recently, except for unless you found a, a patron, that you could just be a musician and just devote your whole energy into that. And, and even even me, I mean, I'm a, I'm a musician, but uh, like I'm, I do a lot of chores that have around the store that have nothing to do with music. And, and I don't mind it. I'm, I'm the I'm the best and the cheapest painter I know. <laughs> and so, you know, I do a, a lot of things like that uh, to keep my store, uh, you know, moving forward. And and, and I don't I don't uh, I don't complain about it. It's it's like we you it's like you said before, you have to have a portfolio of, of skills in music. But in the, a broader sense, if you're having trouble doing it in music, you've got to have a broader a, a, a sense of what you can do just to survive and enable yourself maybe those couple hours a day just to compose or just to uh, pl pr practice. Um, I mean, I I could probably go out now and be a painter. I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> well, Tal, the, the great Tal Farlow, jazz guitarist, was a sign writer. Was a what? Sign writer. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, check that up. He's, he was a sign writer, a very good one. So, so I guess, I guess, I understand people's pain totally, but it's like we've been really lucky, <laughs> and now some's making us rethink. And um, I, 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 I feel for people whose total identity is with their art, but I guess, I guess, I was lucky that I did something really different for a couple of years, like studied physics, because my perspective is broader than that. The way you've expressed that and the way you've talked about it is exactly the thoughts that have been going through my head for quite a few months now in that, you know, at the age that I am at, at 55, it's, it's been incredible that I've been able to live a life playing, playing music, writing music, teaching music. Uh, and this major pandemic is the first thing that's came along that that has really knocked a lot of musicians who are only in the performance field. It's knocked them for six. And fingers crossed we're going to come out of this soon. I just want to end this fascinating discussion with you, Jim, on the future and what you see for the future. You've got so many strings to your bow, if I can use that hackneyed phrase. What do you see as the future? You mean you mean for, for my career? Yes. Well, you know, I'm 68 and luckily, I'm healthy. My fingers are mostly working. And I don't really see an end to what I'm doing. I don't see me just retiring and quitting because I'm just now starting to get good at some of this. <laughs> you know, it's like I just notice a, 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 I'm always just getting better at my teaching. Uh, I like to think I'm getting better at my composing. I'll let you be the judge of that on my YouTube channel. <laughs> but, um, you know, I like to I like to. And I'm getting better at writing reviews, and um, I think I am. At least nobody's complaining too much. And and so I I just foresee the store continuing on, and uh, I'm going to continue my university teaching for at least a, a few more years until it's. I, I think people have told me that you know it's time. <laughs> you 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 will know when it's time. And, and so, but right now I'm, I'm having a, a really good time doing everything. I think one of the great things about teaching the guys at university and that is it keeps you young. Oh, sure. Try teaching six-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, 
On that, I'd like to thank you very much for taking part in this interview. It's, it's been a true joy and it's been fantastic talking to someone who's so passionate about what they do. And I get it. It's not just for money that you do this. It's for the love of the art and for everything that it means to you, your family and friends. So thanks for being part of this GMI podcast. Jed, thanks for doing these, and thank you so much for inviting me. You're you're uh, everything to talk to at, that I would have imagined listening to your guitar playing. Thank you so much, Jed. So I did tell you that Jim was an inspirational figure, and it's just incredible what one person has done. You know, I was told when I was a wee boy that if you wanted something done, go see a busy man. Jim's one of those men. He gets things done. I found that inspirational and I hope you did too. Check out the various links that I've put on the page, which is all about Jim on the podcast at the guitarmusicinstitute.com website. You just go up to the top, you'll see podcasts, and all the podcasts are there. Why not check out some of the other 46 podcasts currently available? Incredible people. There's guitar makers, guitar players, there's businessmen, anything to do with music and guitar. So we're almost at year end. I'm going to see if I can get another interview lined up, another podcast interview lined up. I usually have them stacked three deep. Not this time because it's been, we've been so busy creating books for GMI. If you're into playing guitar, look up my name on Amazon. Just put Jed Brocky into Amazon or put Guitar Music Institute and you'll see all our books. So from me, Jed Brocky, until... You hear me again, goodbye for now.